You're listening to the Educated Athlete Podcast, a show dedicated to empowering athletes and practitioners to perform at their best through education. I'm Coach T, and I'm an exercise physiologist. If you want to elevate your game, take your fitness and sport performance to the next level, or become a better coach, this is the podcast for you. Let's learn. All right, all right, let's get it. I am beyond stoked to have my man Lucas Miller on with us on the Educated Athlete Podcast. Dude, what is good? How are you? I'm doing great, man. You know, I can't complain yeah. living down in San Diego, loving the weather. Clutch. Yeah, it's a brutal winter, you know, so. Yeah, yeah it's starting <laughs> Real to Real brutal. Down here. Got down to what, 60, 65? Yeah. Yeah, it rained a couple <laughs> awesome. of times, so. Dude. No, well, welcome. Are we are well down here. Yeah, we are beyond stoked to have you. Um, for our listeners and audience, would you mind just telling us a little bit about you and your story? Where you've been, what you've yeah. been up to? Yeah, so uh, I guess you could start back. Post high school, I joined the military for four years, uh, did a couple of deployments, decided that I was going to get out, go to college, um, which we'll get to the end of it. But that led me to where I am at now, um, just being in the military, kind of like training without a purpose, uh, doing what I said to do because I told you to do it kind of training. Okay. Um, it was really common in the Marine Corps when I was in. So that led me to go into college. I uh, played football at Humboldt State where I met you. Yeah, um, Jack played there, got started uh, in the kinesiology world there, um, graduated with my bachelor's degree, moved down to Stanford, um, where I finished. I started an internship there, ended up getting hired on, um, hired on full time. And I got my master's at San Jose State during that time and then worked at Stanford for the next two and a half years. Awesome. And then just recently in the last year, I got hired to be uh, the director of human performance for SRT one, which is a Navy special warfare unit down in Coronado. So that's where I'm nice. at now. I'm working with some Navy SEALs and some other really special guys down there. So incredible, man. What a story. What a journey. It's a vibe. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Especially since you've gotten so much, you know, I feel like in, in our industry and feel like in the field, a lot of times you don't get special like snowflakes like you that play the sport went to grad school, got a degree in that, coached athletes. And then now, at, I think, honestly, probably the most demanding and requiring like physical skills of all, because there's, there's like, you know, there's, there's risk involved in the military yeah. setting. Like that's, that's even next level. That's not like we talk about sport mm -hmm. and the importance of sport, but that really requires true human performance. Right. So what a incredible story, man. Um, so today, you know, I know as, as you were an ex-collegiate athlete, really successful in your career, even as that too, you're a baller on the field, right? I think the reason I think it's, it's important to bring up that you did that is I wish I knew so many of the things that I know now about sports science when I was on the field. You probably could share the same, but what do you think is maybe like one primary thing or like the key thing, the first thing that comes to mind that you wish you knew back when you were a sophomore, junior, you know what I mean? On the practice squad, trying to get on like proper four reps, make varsity, make the travel team. Like, what did it take? What do you wish you knew? Or what would you share with anybody that's listening? I think like the big takeaway that I wish I knew then was that you can work your ass off, but you can also overwork your ass off. Right. So like you're trying to get on the field so bad, you're spending all those extra hours in the weight room lifting, but you don't have a, you don't have a purpose. Stay on the program that your coach is putting you on. He's leading you to the right spot. Don't try to go off and do your own thing and just trust yeah. the process. And in, in essence, just trust the process and know that 
you're going to get there with your hard work and push it to everything you need. Ask questions along the way, like whether it's nutrition, um, different training, why you're doing this, ask as many questions as you can be a sponge, like just absorb yeah. everything you're around and you, you're going to have smart people, especially, I mean, you could be D1, D2, D3. You're going to have smart people around you in that weight room because they're there for a reason. Find 100%. the person, stick to their pocket and learn everything that they know and then go on and do it again in the next place. I love that. I feel like that, honestly, like be a sponge is a gem. That really, like, I think just encompasses why we're doing this podcast in the first place. Like, how do we help educate athletes? First and foremost, dude, just be a sponge, like be that soapy, oily sponge left in the bottle of the sink that just collects yeah. everything. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Dude, that, that's clutch. And you had the experience, and so did I, of learning from a true great in Drew Peterson. Something that I think that I love that he used to say was, there's no excuse for the lack of strength. Or no, there's, there's no substitute for the lack of strength and no excuse for the lack of it. And I feel like that's a true gem. And, and it's talking directly about what you're getting to is like your coaches are going to give you everything that you, you really need. If you do more, you might actually influence that negatively. So mm -hmm. actually being comfortable and openly communicating with your coach and saying like, hey, I want to try this other exercise stimulus or whatever it is. There's probably a reason you're not doing too much. And this is something I think would be important to talk about is as an athlete, you have the stress of practice and the game and then also the stress of the extra training load that you're getting. And I feel like a lot of, coaches, practitioners, and athletes don't always think about the actual practice as a stress. And that's like, that is the true, a true stress. So you can't train like you are if you're not doing sport, if you're like just a general practitioner or bodybuilder or whatever it is, if you're not doing sports, yeah. you can train a lot harder and do other things than you can if you are doing sport. Do you think that influences some people in their decision to always feel like I need to do more? Yeah, absolutely. I, when I was at Stanford, one thing that they, the coaches that are there, like they're so amazing, like the strength coaches, the sport coaches also, they're, they're all so close niche, even the athletic trainers that everybody works together, like at, at this holistic approach where they understand that you've got your school stress, you've got your family stress, you've got your work stress, you've got um, your sport stress. And like, they, they understand like, okay, if you're not feeling it this day, like this is what we're going to do instead. And they make adjustments to cater mm. to what you're, what you can get around instead of just pushing you through that, that barrier and just tanking, whether it's your nervous system or even pushing you like a physical failure, like yeah. they understand there. And that's where I really like learned like that, that lesson, like firsthand. And I think when I was an athlete, if I knew like, yeah, like school maybe wasn't that hard at the time because like you've been through more, but you don't need to put more in the weight room or more onto the field. If you're like struggling in school, you got to find that right balance for you. 100%. And then it's definitely a learning curve, but it's, yeah. it's a hard learning curve. It is definitely a hard learning yeah. curve. Yeah. I think for, for some people, like, so you talked about something that I think is really important, central nervous system fatigue. I was actually just reading a a paper the other day, um, I'll, I'll have to cite it after we wrap this up, but it basically said that central nervous system fatigue from like making really high level decisions quickly is equivalent to physical fatigue. And I don't think a lot of people understand that, that if you're like, basically what they're doing, they're jamming on a computer game and you're choosing words that have a certain color and, you, and, and so on. So it's a really challenging test, but that decreased people's performance immediately after doing that test. So I think that speaks to exactly what you're getting to is like your cognitive stress 
is recognized as physical stress. So if you have an exam, like you maybe need to auto-regulate your training program and decrease your percentage or your loads or whatever. And it sounds like Sanford is doing an incredible job of that, which I think is probably one of the things that separates good from a great in the coaching realm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, you. It's not. It's not very common that um, athletes that on their own figure that out. So they'll they can stay up until three a.m. writing that paper, and then go to a six a.m. practice and just be like, you know, like that wasn't the best practice, and then go do it again the next day rather than understanding why didn't I have right. a good practice? I'm moving slow. My motor skills are off. Like, I just got my ass chewed out. Like, yeah, well, it's probably because you did that to yourself. Like, maybe you just you stay ahead on your schoolwork maybe you don't push it to the last minute like that's all with planning like I know just like working yeah back to Stanford just working there like if the athletes like stayed up late busting their ass on papers like the university is crazy hard to start with right One yeah of the top, 100%. at least five in the country it's like they're gonna the stress is there so like they would use like wellness wellness reports like every morning like it would mm. punch out to the coaches like what how many hours of sleep did you get what was your school load? What is your social life? Like what's practice looking like? So then they know, and then they uh, could be like, all right, like our acute to chronic workload is diminished right now. Yeah. Now we're going to be looking at injuries because we're fatigued. Stuff yeah, like that. Interesting. Were they doing that through um, uh, like a Google form directly to and from the athlete to coach, like each coach for the specific team or how was like the ops around that? And how was that? That's really interesting. Yeah, usually, well, it depends on team, um, different differences for team, but yeah, it would get punched out, be like a Google Doc. Nice. Um, and that it would send to the athlete's phone every morning. First thing they did, they just type it in, takes one and a half minutes, and then right, quick. it would send out to the strength coach, and then the strength coach would have all the formulas all the on. Yeah. yeah, averages and everything. That's yeah. clutch. What I, I like about that is I, I really appreciate the concept of like auto-regulation, like when you just regulate your program. So I feel like so many people like create this program based on like percent one RM or whatever that might be for 12 weeks out. And like, we just got to stick with it. And that usually is not the best way. Cause what happens week mm -hmm. seven, when something goes wrong and you need to regulate or you didn't sleep or whatever it is, like your percentage of your capacity is going to change and, and change for over time, for sure. Sometimes it'll be super high. Sometimes it'll be lower, but there's always a standard estimate error there. So being able to auto regulate your program, I think is, is critical. Um, yeah, yeah, I for sure. Um, you talked about something earlier, training with a purpose. Like I, I really like that. And I think auto-regulation kind of ties back into that really well, but, um, to expand on training with a purpose, like just having basic principles and, and what did you mean by that exactly? I think that's really solid concept. Yeah. So like training with a purpose it, is a very basic term, but it's in, in reality, it's doing mm -hmm the very minimum or maximum of what you need to do to be successful. So it could be a two hour workout one through three days a week, or it could be 30 minutes. It's, it's whatever your purpose is. It could, it depends on what your goals are. And right. so going into like, you need to be able to set your own goals. Obviously, like we talked a little bit earlier, like smart goal setting, you know? Right. Um, but like, if you're, if you're creating your own program, you're on somebody else's program, that's fine. Do what they tell you to do or do what your program is and don't go above and beyond that because that the more, more training isn't always better. Like, yeah. like we talked about earlier, it could diminish your actual overall goals. If you're like, you're like, Oh, my back squat's not good. I'm programmed to do 
five sets of three today. Well, you know what? I felt like doing eight sets of three. It's like, well, there's a reason you're doing five sets of three. Like, yeah, for sure. stick to your programming and be able to progress like through that. Got it. Yeah. I like that. And with, with smart goals for anyone listening who maybe isn't aware of what exactly a smart goal is, you want to expand on that a little too? Goal yeah. Setting. So sm- smart goal setting, um, you, you need to be specific in your goal setting. So like you need to narrow it down to something that is large enough, but small enough that you can attain it over time. Um, that's for the S cause it's an acronym. The M is for measurable. It needs to be measurable. So if my goal is to gain five pounds, that's my goal. It's measurable. I'm five pounds less than what I want to be. Um, the A is achievable. So you need to be, it needs to be in a timely manner, which is going to go last, but it, it needs to be achievable as in, I can't say I'm going to gain a hundred pounds because that's right. not achievable. Right. 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 Um, R is, uh, um, realistic it needs to be realistic. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, choose a, a realistic goal. And that, you put a timeline on it. You can choose. Yeah. You could put a timeline on it, which T is the time. Yeah. Um, so like all of them combined together, it makes a, a small, a smart you got to win smaller battles to get to that big battle. Got it. So um, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So that's smart goal setting. I mean, smart goal setting. It's, it's super easy to implement. Like you could do one for your training. You could do one for your nutrition. It's very easy to do. And just write it down, like writing down your actual goals, putting it on paper makes a huge difference. Cause then you yeah. see, like, like I, I, when we were playing ball, like coach would say, Hey, at the beginning of the year, write on a uh, five by eight note card, like what your goals are at the beginning of the year, put it in your locker and it's going to look at your face every day. It's like, right. you show up that next day and you know, like, I did not work towards that goal today. You're on your own ass. Like you see it, yeah. it's going to, it's going to haunt you and get back to it. 100%. So it's just like winning, winning the little battles. Um, so setting the goals to those little battles and then the war is going to be won at the end. If you win all those little battles. 100%. That's an absolute gem. I love that. Smart goals based around the little battles that create, mm-hmm. fulfill the purpose objective, whatever that might be. If it's losing weight, gaining speed, getting faster, playing better, improving skill, whatever it is. No, that's exactly. dope. That's dope. So within that, like, so, smart goals, right? So let's say you have a smart goal and your smart goal is to be a better, let's say football player, for example, for this, this example, right? Um, let's talk a little bit about specificity and training specificity and like mm-hmm. how important that is, because I, I'm sure um, Stanford really was probably very, very well versed in specificity and how specific is too specific. And like, if people, for example, so if you're a basketball player and you're running up and down the court, doing a lot of change of direction stuff, do you need to match that in your training or are you already getting it from sport? Right. Like I work with runners, um, quite a bit of runners and they're very like front kinetic chain heavy. They do a lot of pushing, barely any pulling. So when they come in and and work in like a one-on-one setting, we're not doing a lot of pushing because their gait mechanics is very front side heavy. So we're doing a lot of RDLs, good mornings, deadlifts, squats, like things that are really posterior chain heavy. So I think that's really important. Let's talk about specificity, maybe how specific to specific, if that's a thing, right? And how do you optimize a training program around your specific goals? Yeah, absolutely. So like when we were at Stanford, like I worked with uh, men's mm-hmm. soccer and baseball, beach volleyball and men's water polo were my sports, but okay. specifically with men's soccer, like we used catapult GPS system 
to monitor our athletes during training and during competition, stuff like that. So being specific in the weight room can be a reflection of what they do on the field. And like you mentioned, like they do a hundred thousand cuts on the field. It's like, well, I'm not going to go make them do a hundred thousand cuts in the weight room also, because then I'm too specific, right? I need to find their weaknesses and make them a little more balanced or make them a little more powerful in those movements. So like the training that we would do, um, we would use a lot of force plate stuff to be able to find imbalances and asymmetries to keep them like healthier over a longer period of time and stuff like that injury prevention. Um, But with the, the GPS is what we relied on heavily to understand like, Hey, they're decelerating a lot. That's heavy on their quads, heavy on their knees. They're not getting a lot of full sprints. That's working on those hamstrings. We need to strengthen up those hamstrings. We need to train a little bit more long distance stuff. And the right. coaches there like understands, like you go have that conversation with them and then they're like, all right, next few practices, we're going to start opening up more, be more balanced, be more specific in what we need to do rather than, right. yeah, we're playing soccer all day, but I mean, you're not going to get better just doing soccer, you know, you, 100%. Those you other have other things. principles and other things to consider. Right. I think, yeah, something that you brought up that's, that's really important um, is like identifying the rate limiting factor. AKA if you're a really fast athlete, but you can't maintain speed for longer than the first 15 minutes of a 90 minute soccer match. That's like, what benefit does that have? Would it mm-hmm. benefit you? Should you keep focusing on speed, even though you're faster than everyone else? Like, of course it's nice to get faster. Right. But like, if you gas out, you have this rate limiter. And what I'm getting to is like, we all have our individual profiles. Like I was really, really quick in my first step. But once I opened up, I'm 5'8", like people would catch and hunt me down and assassinate me, you know, it's not yeah. a business. So like, it didn't really benefit me to keep getting really good at accelerating and cutting because that wasn't limiting my game, right? The limiting factor in my game was like opening up and getting separation in, in open space. Um, so what are, your, what are your thoughts on getting specific and like identifying your, your weakness? You brought that up. So maybe if you don't have access to a force plate, or maybe if you're like a high school strength coach, you know, like, how do you think about profiling an athlete and identifying weaknesses? Yeah. So like, as you're, you're like, you have the coach's eye, right? A lot of coaches like use their eye test to do a lot yeah. of things, whether it's in the weight room or on the field and whatnot. Um, identifying them, like you can compare them to others, but that's not always the best idea, right? You don't want yeah. your best athlete and your worst athlete aren't going to go against each other every time because neither one is going to get better but when you're when you're like profiling them actually like you can you can just like you could kind of tell like hey johnny's really fast off the line right yeah we get that sorry okay um so some say somebody's like really fast off the line as a coach you want to be able to change that next that next um progression off the line so like don't let them keep working on the thing that they're good at even though that they're that's all they want to do is because they're good at it they don't want to work they don't want to work at the the hard thing because they're not as good at it they're going to be embarrassed especially at like the high school level like yeah i know like when i was like a junior and a senior like yeah i was more developed but like when i was a sophomore i was a little putt right so like yeah i didn't want to do i didn't want to go lift with the, the guys like i would just hide in the corner and like do my yeah. own things like didn't I want to get do, exposed like, I would do cleans because that's all I could do right I didn't want right. to go bench like I can bench 135 fuck that yeah. I'm not gonna do it I'll just skip it and go back to cleans kind of thing. right so makes like, sense get them out of their comfort zone and start working on things that they're not as good at and it's easy to figure out like at that low level because they're gonna avoid it 
So the True. things that athletes are trying to avoid, they're probably not as good at them. So then you could, you don't really have to force them, but try to make it, make drills that are a little more fun or that can incorporate more, um, more personable ideas for each other. And then it's yeah. not as like attacking on their ego, I guess you'd say. That makes sense for sure. Would you then, it, with that approach, so let's say we, we've identified, we have a, a high school football team, 50 or 60 athletes, or even, even at the college level, you have your skill group, you have 40 or 50 guys, right? Do you think like, how do you approach, let's say you have a group that you know needs to work on acceleration, a group that you know is super strong, but doesn't know how to apply that force into the ground very well. Do you like, um, did you, or do you think that it's important to take an approach of like grouping athletes from strength, weakness, power, weakness, change of direction, like tell how deep and detailed does that need to be? And like, or even, is that a good idea? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's a great idea. Like I grouped my athletes. Um, I still do just based off of whether they're, they're power athletes, they're endurance athletes, strength, so on and so forth, especially like working with baseball players. Like you have pitchers, you have hitters, infield, outfield. So it's like so many different things. Um, but yeah, you can, you can so on bucket them in in different areas. That doesn't mean their training's different. It just means that how you load them could be different. So maybe like instead that. of, instead of um, someone doing a back squat one day, maybe they're going to do like hex bar jumps or mm-hmm. like um, weighted, like PAP, like weighted eccentric, concentric dumbbell jumps, something like that, it. where it's like, they're still getting the stimulus that everybody else is getting, but I don't need to squat cause I can squat 500 pounds, but I'm also slow as shit. So I need to get more explosive. I'm going to go right. do some plyometrics, something like something that will get my muscles firing in a different way, but I'm still on the same program that everybody else is on. It's just right. a little bit tweaked. So that, that goes into just being specific with your athletes, knowing your athletes and being able to tailor things to their needs. So it's really just getting to know them. I think that's gold. You know, something that has always stuck with me that uh, old mentor, Drew Peterson always shared was we train movements, not exercises. I feel like that is something that's often overlooked and how you're sharing that they're still in the same program. They're doing the same movement. They're doing a squatting type movement, jumping type movement, but how you load it is completely different and the purpose is different. So we train movements, not exercises. Did you ever share that with you? I feel like that's like, that's gold, man. Like that's gold. And I think you hit that like nail on the head with that. It's like his like old sayings is like stuff that you didn't really get then. And you're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Yeah, exactly. Like, what is this? It clicks later about? in life. You're like, holy shit. Like, yeah, you know, he's, he literally is a genius. He's, yeah. he's that guy. Yeah. He's that guy. Um, yeah. So recap on that. I think it's really interesting. Grouping athletes based on weakness specifically is really key. Identifying the rate limiting factor. Like, uh, yeah, it's absolutely critical. Like, what is your mm-hmm. weakness? I feel like a lot of us shy away from that. Just like you shared, like, even in college as an elite athlete, even as a starter, you're still, like, you don't want to talk about your weakness or expose you. No, I, there's, you don't. I don't have a weakness. I don't have a weakness. No. You know, like, of course not. Even as a, like, uh, techie that works in SF and sits a lot, right? It's really hard to digest. Like, oh, my hips are really weak. I sit a lot. Even we, we try to avoid those, like, things. Like, because... I now am in a sitting role a lot more often as a, 
um, lecture professor, like I sit a lot and teach and grade and so on. I'm not on the, on like on the field helping athletes. I'm not working with individuals anymore. So I sit a lot and I do that same thing. I'm like, well, no, my hips are good. And then I'll watch myself run or move, be like, well, my hips are locked, my lumbar spine is locked and so on. Yeah. So I think it's really, really important. Identify your rate limiting factor and then attack that, become better at that because the marginal improvements that you get on things that you're already good at probably isn't going to help your performance too much, but things that you're not so good at, that might actually help elevate your game on the field. Right. And like going, like continuing like on to that, since we're already on it, it's like, how do you test that? Like you need to come up with a, yeah very reliable and valid measures that are going to test what you want to know so like if you want to know how strong your athletes are you don't necessarily have to do a one rep max for a back squat or cleans or something like that like it's it's sport specific so be specific with them so like we we use a lot of force plates just because it's a safer and it's like extremely popular now everybody seems to have have them whether it's um hawkins dynamic sparta or force decks like some you they're all over the place so yeah. it's like measure be be reliable and valid in what you're measuring and then actually look at the data and if you don't know what you're looking at feel free to ask somebody like you can you can sit down and have a conversation google does great work like you can dive 100%. in and just but at the end of the day if you're if you're doing something to your program and you realize your athletes aren't getting better at it. Like you need to reflect and be critical of your own programming. I think that's big in like in our world right now. It's like, there's yeah. a lot of people that, that are good at reaching out and especially with COVID, like there's a lot of like people are reaching out and collaborating. But like, I think before that, like there wasn't as much of it. It was like me versus you. Yeah. yeah. Like kind of mentality. It's like, well, we're all going for that same national championship or that we're, we're all going that same goal. So it's like, Right. At the end of the day, if, if you're not testing your athletes for a specific purpose, then like I said earlier, like it's garbage in, garbage out. Like you're not yeah. getting anything, anything good from it. And then that's potentially injuries. That's a gem. So, yeah. So with that, right, like you, you talk about sport specificity. So for example, baseball, like how important is it to do a like gross biometric analysis range of motion of the shoulder, you know, like there's where you can go really, really deep or really shallow, but I just want to confirm and make sure I, I'm getting this right. And that everyone listening is getting this is just be specific with that. So like how fast is someone throwing the ball? For example, your pitchers, if you put your pitchers through a program eight weeks later, if you're expecting them to be able to throw the ball faster and they can't, we need to look back at the dynamics, what change pre to post, are they have less range of motion, do they have more and so on? Is that what you're getting to? Exactly. So it's like if if they're you you do like the the biomechanical analysis, like you get with your athletic trainer. If it's just you, you do everything, you're getting joint angles, all that stuff. Um, whether you have force plates or not, stuff like that. The velocity of a ball is a super easy analogy. Yeah. You throw a ball six, eight weeks later. Is that ball going faster, slower, staying the same? Okay, it's staying the same. Cool. Well, maybe we'll continue this for a little longer and then reevaluate. It's going right. slower. Well, we're going in the wrong direction right now. We need to figure it the fuck out. 100%. It's going faster. Okay, well, how much faster? Because ju- just like adaptations, you know, like a, ju- a very young athlete can make those adaptations really quick. They're throwing right. the ball too hard now. Their arm's not able to, to keep up. You got to go talk to the coach and be like, Hey, you know, he's gained six miles an hour in 
six weeks. Like, let's right. keep his, I don't know if he can handle this for an entire exactly. game. Keep his, right. keep, keep his um, pitch count low until he can build up that tolerance and then have that new threshold. So 100%. Like, just, just, yeah. I think uh, to kind of highlight what you're getting to, and I like to talk about this a lot, but be a scientist athlete or be a scientist coach. And a lot of people get away from that. You don't have to be an exercise scientist or sit in a PhD seat and do research to be really good practitioner with data and evaluate data, even on the smallest level of like, what is your athlete's average heart rate during a workout? If one day the whole team's average heart rate is like 20 beats higher for a steady state load or whatever it is, that should be a red flag. Either something went down, they're not recovering well or so on. So it could be as simple as heart rate, could be force, could be running speed, everything, but really just measure measure and then also do like the qualitative stuff too right like are your athletes sore like you talked about earlier that form i think that form's gold like did you sleep okay and so on like something as easy as that if you can just pre-create an excel sheet from google forms with how easy google forms and google sheets is that just gives you an average on average my players slept this this uh eight hours yesterday 8.2 hours or whatever it might be and then adapt on the fly and be aware of okay we had a really bad practice let's pivot what's going on yeah right and you can look back at that and have a data-oriented approach to make really good decisions um especially i think in this day and age where you have things like dude social media is crazy like when we were in college it was kind of the start of it but it wasn't quite like these younger athletes now where you're getting information and there's a lot of great coaches that have social media but there's also a lot of coaches that might be directing people to do things that they possibly shouldn't be doing at that time that aren't as specific to them right so how do you think um uh, I think one really great topic to wrap up with is like kind of like the smoke and mirrors of being an athlete in this day and age. It's like, you have access to so much information. Right. And I think you've touched on this a lot of like, just trust your coaches, but how do you kind of riff through? Like, you know, that's valid. That's actually a good point. Should I talk to my coach about that? Or like that's BS or, and so on. Like, what are your thoughts on like the smoke and mirrors of the social media industry right now? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say if you see something on social media, like, it's there. So do your own research on it. So like, right. I mean, if somebody is say, selling a supplement or telling you what workouts you need to do to throw the ball harder, stuff like that, do your own research because there's so much literature out there that will help you. And then ask the questions. Like I said earlier, like, don't be afraid to go to your strength coach or your buddy and be like, try to put your brains together. Be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Like, I know that 100%. this program this program's put like six guys in the MLB, like we should do what they're doing. It's like, well, you got to think about what their genetic disposition is starting with compared to yours. Like you're eight years behind them or you're not as gifted kind of things. Like I would say just doing, doing your own research and getting the, the, the questions answered on your own, but having that sense of like understanding, okay, that, that physiologically or mechanically makes sense. Like, okay why does that make sense asking yourself questions too and then like right. google you could google so much stuff and then right. when you go and have that conversation with the professional or your coach or anything like that then you have those deeper dive deeper questions oh like how why that gets you so far but if you like probe at them and get them to use their brain like that works and like going back to stanford again like those athletes are so smart in general that they, they question your programming, but it's not like, Hey, why are we doing this? I don't think it's going to work. It was like, I want to understand this. Makes sense. Why is this? Why is this working? 
and then yeah. you just you like you get to explain to them and like deep dive so then they've got their school knowledge then they've got their sport knowledge and combined like they're just knowledge is power it's always gonna be 100 then they'll send you shit on instagram be like hey this is what we're talking about right i'm like exactly that's exactly yes. what we're let's go about. yes i think um yeah. i say something a lot with athletes that i work with that an educated athlete's a lethal athlete like man exactly. if you if you know what's good and you can just come correct with it. And even if you're making poor decisions, but you know you're making poor decisions and just those little things, you know what I mean? Because we all do that. But like yeah. an educated athlete is lethal. If you have the talent and skill, or if you don't have the talent and skill, you have the capacity to get it. Being educated is, is something that I also think is, there's just kind of like no excuse for the lack of it when you get to collegiate sports or definitely in the professional realm. Um, and even from like the novice point of view too, for anybody that's a weekend warrior, crossfitter or whatever it is, like just identifying like the risk of injury, training load, training stress, all these things are pretty, they're very accessible concepts and, and topics to be able to dive into, to improve your capacity to perform, improve your function and, and so on. So that's yeah. critical, man. Just, just don't do something because somebody's telling you to do it or because like your buddy's doing it and you're going to go to the gym and. He's yeah. going to kill you with a Metcon. Like, understand why maybe he's at a different level in his training. And now you're just going to go give yourself doms for five days and you're <laughs> yeah. you're screwed. Like, just understand a little bit. So, like, do your own research. Do your own, like, get your own knowledge on the topics. And it's right. really, concepts are hard, but the knowledge, like, literature breaks it down so easily now that, like, everything's yeah. in layman's terms. You can understand it. If you don't understand it, Google what that term is. Yeah, you you'll find it. You just got to go down the rabbit hole. You got to dig a little. Yeah, for yeah, sure. You got to dig a little. Clutch. Awesome. Well, man, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Is there any primary key takeaways that you haven't hit on? Again, as an ex-athlete yourself, if you were talking to yourself back in that seat when you're on the field, right? What would you tell yourself? Just listen to your coaches. There's a, there's yeah. there's no right answer in strength and conditioning. There is some wrong answers but everybody's going to have their different approach and find that way and buy into them. You know, it, it means a yeah. lot to your coaches when you're bought in. And as a player, it means a lot when you're bought in, you know, you're going to progress a lot faster, a lot further. Incredible. Luke yeah. Miller, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for hopping on. Absolutely. Much appreciate love, it, bro.